Gracious Father, we sing Alleluia. You are the great God who has, who has overcome sin and death and set us free. And we've come today to worship you, to give you thanks, and to open our hearts to you and to each other. We pray that your grace will be upon us as we worship you throughout this entire morning. And we ask this through Jesus. Amen. Take a moment to share a word of welcome, a word of greeting with others here in worship today. Excuse me. It's a wake-up call, right? I forgot I had that on there. I was thinking I was turning my head away. It's so great to see you as we gather for worship today. Uh, There are some inserts in your bulletin. Uh, Please take note of those about helping out with the nursery through the summer months. Uh, There's information there about how to be a part of that. There's also an insert about uh, Easter Sunday morning. Uh, today, when we gather for a couple of worship services, the early service, we'll have, uh, a, we'll have some baptisms. And in fact, if you are interested in being baptized on Easter Sunday morning, uh, we're having a class tomorrow at uh, 3.30 and Tuesday at 4. If neither of those times work for you and you'd like to be, know more about being baptized, just let me know and uh, we'll work that out. 
but uh, we will uh, be preparing you for that, uh, that uh, significant moment on Easter morning. And then we have a breakfast in between the baptism service and the morning worship service. And uh, the youth group has been putting this on the last few weeks or doing so, last few years, they're doing so again uh, this year. And as you see in the insert, there's some things that you can donate to help, and they're raising funds for a mission trip this summer. So uh, please take note of that, and any help you can give would be greatly appreciated. And you also see an insert about the Easter path. This is happening this Wednesday from 5 to 6.30 in the church community room. It's a come-and-go event. Uh, it is The nursery will be available, but it's specifically designed for children and families. Uh, it's a, it takes us on a journey uh, through Holy Week, uh, Palm Sunday, Last Supper, Garden, Good Friday, uh, Easter morning. And there's instruction sheets with people there to help you. And uh, also, uh, at the end of that, uh, the, everyone participating will help to create a cross for Easter Sunday morning. This is uh, what we're doing this event this Wednesday, and then on Good Friday, we, have, we will be having a Journey to the Cross event here in the sanctuary, and uh, we will give you more information about that in, the, in next week. But we hope that this will be a part of your, uh, your uh, schedule and your uh, family life this coming week. Tonight at 5 o'clock, we have the opportunity to hear our uh, intern for this semester, Will Bruno. Uh, we'll be gathering together at 5 here for service, and Will will be preaching and uh, it's an exciting time to, to support him as he continues preparing in the call of ministry that God is putting on his heart. So if you can come tonight at 5, I encourage you to do so. And then if you're in a small group that meets afterwards, you can go to that or youth group. Uh, it won't conflict with either of those at all. Uh, also, one other thing, uh, the church directory. We're in the process of putting a new directory together, a pictorial directory. And you can sign up today after church to, uh, to be uh, set up for times for the directory. And you can do that here or I think over actually over in the church in the other foyer. But we will uh, call the church office as well or do it online. Uh, we want to get as many people as possible to be a part of this directory. Jess Wardinger, who is our co-Sunday school superintendent for our children, is going to share just a word about Sunday school. Good morning. Um, Jamie Potter and I are co-Sunday School Superintendents, and we are finishing out our second year already in this position. Um, And this year has seen quite a few changes for us. Um, As many probably know, we started a new curriculum for many of our classrooms called Bible Studies for Life. Uh, We found a lot of excitement from families and from kids about what's happening in Sunday School and about how it's translating to life at home. Um, through conversations at home and through monthly devotionals that are expanding on what they're learning on Sunday mornings. Um, On any given Sunday, our three-year-olds through fourth graders are learning Bible stories based around the same lesson content. So, in my house, I can ask my Isaac, who's three, to tell us his Bible story, and he can tell it pretty well. And then Elliot, who's five, can fill in the gaps that we're missing, and Adeline, who's very grown up, can tell us all the details and how it applies to our lives. And, you know, it's really changed our time as a family. Um, We really, we cannot say enough good things about the fact that they're all learning the similar theme lesson. Um, It makes it so much easier for us to apply to our lives. As we embark on a new month, I'm here really to share with you what our kids are doing in April. So in April, because it's Easter, our Sunday school theme is Jesus is Alive. And today... Students are learning about the miracles that Jesus performed. And the following weeks, they'll explore the triumphal entry, the crucifixion and resurrection, that Thomas believed, and the ascension. 
It's going to be a really full month of learning over in the CE building. The other exciting part is that all the Sunday school grades are now learning the same memory verse for the entire month. So we're asking that you, the rest of the congregation, learn this verse with us as well. We're encouraging our kids that the whole church family loves them and they love what they're doing in Sunday school and they want to learn with them. And so for the month of April, we're asking that you learn our new verse, which is Luke 137. For nothing will be impossible with God. So please commit to learning this. And if you're looking for more info on what's happening with our kids or our Sunday school program or what's happening um, each week, we have a Facebook page, HWC Kids, and you can find all of that info there. Thank you. I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God from all that he has blessed us with. Beep! 
Father, we thank you this morning for the cross. That the cross, we truly find your grace poured out to us, your love poured out to us, and we find joy, and peace, and life. Father, we come today and offer our prayers because you have welcomed us to do so. You've invited us to do so. Because we know the depths of your love for us through the cross. As we gather today, Father, there are many burdens that we bring with us. We pray that you will give grace in our grief, our pain. We pray today for uh, Bruce Campbell and his family, the death of his father yesterday. We ask that you would pour out your mercy and your comforting presence upon Bruce and his family. We pray, Father, for for all who are struggling with pain and illness and issues of of health. We pray especially, Father, for Storer Emmett, Ben King, for Doris Asepian and Isla Shea, for Sheldon Emerson, Laurel Buecher, Bill Getty, Warren and Ella Woolsey, Phil Muecher, Mike Raybuck, Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Emily Cricklar, and others who are on our minds and our hearts today. Father, we thank you for the ministries of this church and all the ways in which we care for one another and teach and love one another. We thank you for our Sunday school program in which we have the opportunity to teach our children who you are and who they are in you. And we pray, Father, that that what we do will help our children to grow with the desire to want to know you and follow you all of their lives. We pray, Father, for the churches around us. Pray for the York's Corners Mennonite Church and Pastor Miller and ask that your grace and blessing would be upon them as they meet and worship and as they share your love. Father, we pray for our nation. We pray that you you would help our nation to continue to to be united 
rather than divided, but to be united in you and who you are and what you've done for us. We pray, Father, for this world in which we live. Pray for refugees that have, uh, have to leave their homes and, and, and live in places that are foreign and places they would rather not be and often very difficult. We ask for your grace upon them. We pray, Father, for places of violence and war in our nation and ask that you would bring healing. Father, we pray for your church around the world. We thank you for the amazing work of the Jesus film that has reached millions upon millions of people with the story of the gospel. We pray that you will continue to bless the ministry of the Jesus film. We pray, Father, for our brothers and sisters in places around the world who face persecution for their faith. And we think of, of those in Tajikistan and ask, Father, that you would bless them and you would protect them. We pray, Father, that they would have courage in the midst of very difficult circumstances and that you would relieve the pressure from them. And may they bear witness to who you are in all that they do. Father, thank you for your grace upon us. Thank you for the depths of your love for us that we see in the cross. May we continue to reflect your grace as we live our days. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Immediately following the scripture reading this morning, children may be dismissed for Children's Church and Junior Church. And our passage this morning is from Mark chapter 8. If you're able, would you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Mark 8, 31 to 38. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days, rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels.
Please be seated. Why does Jesus come to this earth and die on the cross? I think probably our initial first response to that question is to forgive our sins. And that's true. Jesus comes to this earth, he dies, in order to forgive our sins. And we are eternally grateful for that. But is that all Jesus comes to do? I think one of the things that we discover when we read the Gospels and we read the Scripture is that Jesus comes for more than just to forgive our sins. He comes to forgive our sins so that we can have the kind of intimate relationship with God that we were created to have. We, cannot, we are not just set free from our sins, but we're set free so that we can live a life of holiness, a life of joy, a life of peace, a life abundant. And Jesus comes to fulfill all of, the, all of, the, of God's promises in the Old Testament for his people. All of the ways in which God describes his desires for his people to be intimate with him and to know him and to be like him. Jesus comes to fulfill all of that. The question is, how, how does Jesus accomplish that? And it has been debated through the centuries, because there are a lot of opinions about it. Peter has an opinion about it. Jesus is trying to help his disciples understand in this passage we read in Mark 8, that um, in order to do what he comes to do, in order to fulfill what God has called him, has sent him to do, what he comes willingly to do, he's going to need to suffer and die. And Peter takes offense at that. I can almost hear Peter saying to him, now look, I've just told you a little bit ago that I believe you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. You're the one we've been waiting for. And Messiah's anointed ones don't do this. Messiahs don't suffer. Messiahs don't die. Messiahs don't let the religious people uh, take them down. Messiahs, the, the ones who come, the sons of God, comes to crush his enemies. He comes in power and might. And I'm just simply not going to let you talk like this. Stop it. And Jesus says to Peter, Wow, you're exactly right. What was I thinking? I am the Son of God. I'm the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. I, I, I'm here to crush my enemies. I am here to, to defeat them. I'm here to push them aside. I'm here to exhibit the power of God. Thank you, Peter. I totally lost my head. No. He says to Peter something so fascinating. Even though the words come out of Peter's mouth, he says, Get behind me, Satan. Why? Because he says, you're not thinking like God thinks. You're thinking like human beings think. 
and the kingdom of God and the purposes of God and the coming of Christ are not rooted in how we think. They're rooted in how God thinks. And Jesus says to his disciples, if you want to know me, if you want to, if you want to know and experience all that I have come to be, if you want to be my disciple, here's what that looks like. And in verse 34, he talks about three things. And he first of all says, if you want to be my disciple, you deny yourself. You, you give up your rights to yourself. I think often we think coming to Jesus is primarily about saying a prayer. We, we pray a prayer to Jesus. It's a prayer of forgiveness. It's a prayer of, of uh, asking for his... his uh, Salvation in our hearts. And, and we do that. And that's important. And that, that probably is going to happen for most people. But so often when our focus is on the prayer, we see it as an end. But when we think about what Jesus is saying here about being a disciple means that we give up ourselves, we give up our rights. Then we start thinking about discipleship not as a prayer that's the end, but as the beginning. Because giving up our rights is a lifelong struggle. It's a lifelong calling. It's a lifelong challenge. It's hard for us because, again, like Peter, we like to think like we like to think. And that means we live in a culture in which says, you are stupid to give up your rights. We live in a culture that's continually fighting for our rights. We see it all the time. Now, there is a place for saying that's wrong and we need to acknowledge the rights of people. But the problem is Jesus calls us to be people who are far less concerned about our rights than we are about the rights of others. Far less concerned about how is this going to affect me versus how is this going to affect others. I read an article a few months ago, uh, by a gentleman named Carl Vaders, and the title intrigued me, and, and you know how sometimes titles can grab you, and this one did, and led me to read the article. And the title of the article was, I'm Offended by Easily Offended Christians. Okay, I need to read that article. And it was, it was just a short article, and basically he was saying, we need to think more seriously about the ways in which we respond to the way in which culture treats Christians. We need to be a lot less offended by things that are directly about us as Christians and instead be more offended about things that are affecting the people in our world who are most vulnerable. He says, wouldn't it be awesome if... If people, when they thought about Christians, said, you know what? Those people never get upset unless we're talking about how children are being treated or how, uh, how people, the most vulnerable in the world are being treated or about how many kids go to bed hungry at night. He said, what if people, when they thought of us, they may not like us, they may totally disagree with us, but they can't say about us that all they think about is protecting their own rights. I think there is something of that in what Jesus is saying here. 
I think there is something of just that mindset. And so that when we do get offended, when we do get upset about things, it's because it's things that, that we know Jesus would respond the same way. But he also says, not only do we deny ourselves and give up our rights, but we also take up our cross. When Jesus takes up the cross, no one forces it on him. He's not helpless taking up the cross. It's a choice he makes to take it. And it's a call upon us to do the same thing. To to take up our cross like Jesus does. It's a hard thing to take up our cross. It means that we are going to take upon ourselves the burden, the sin, the evil, the pain of this world as Jesus did. When we we read the gospel stories of Jesus on the cross, one of the things Jesus cries out is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some people have interpreted that to mean that God actually turned his back on Jesus because Jesus now was taking upon himself the sin of the world and God couldn't handle it, and so he turned his back on him. I, I do not believe that. I don't think God ever turns his back on anyone. But Jesus felt like God had turned his back on. Because Jesus was now, had now taken upon himself the pain, the guilt, the shame of all of our sin. And we all know the feeling that we live with when we know we've done something we shouldn't do. And we feel like, we feel like God has turned his back on us. And Jesus experiences that for the very first time. He takes it upon himself. And it's because he does, we can be set free from sin and we can live and know relationship with him and peace and joy and abundant life. But he takes it upon himself. And the call on us as Christians is to be willing to do that for other people as God brings them into our lives. I don't know exactly how all of that happens. And it's certainly not the same way that Jesus does. But we live our lives in a way in which we are thinking, how can I relieve their pain, their suffering, their struggle, even if it means I take it on myself. If you're a parent, you know that feeling of your children being sick, your children being emotionally uh, hurt. I mean, one of the first things that comes to your mind is, I wish this had happened to me and not to them. Someone you love, you say that about them. I wish this would happen to me instead of to them. I wish I could take it. And it's that mindset that I think is, is about taking up our cross. It's being willing to step into the gap, even into the gap of suffering and pain and struggle, because it relieves it for other people. And Jesus says this is what his disciples do. But he also then says that we not only deny ourselves to take up our cross, but we... That ought to be really an obvious thing, right? If you want to be a follower of Jesus, you... Jesus. And then we, as followers of Jesus, we... we means that we walk wherever Jesus walks. It means that we go wherever Jesus goes. We run wherever Jesus runs. We stay wherever Jesus stays. 
We simply choose to follow him. Wherever he goes, whatever he does, wherever he leads us. And it's not because it's a last resort. In his book, uh, Death on a Friday Afternoon, Richard John Newhouse says that uh, we, we teach our children in the church when they're young, and we all we learn it as we grow older, that we ought, to, we ought to pray our prayers, especially some of our those bold prayers. We often will put on the end of those, but your will be done, as Jesus does in the garden. And it's not a bad thing to do. But he says sometimes that prayer, what we're really saying is, God, I, I want what I want, but if you're not going to give me what I want, then okay, I'll take what you want. It's second best. If we it, First best would be doing what I want, because quite frankly, God, I, I think I know more than you do about this. But if that's not going to happen, then okay, I'll, I'll do you. He says, when Jesus prays that prayer in the garden, that's not what Jesus is saying at all. Jesus is saying, Father, I want what you want, period, because I know what you want is best. And that's the mindset we have of following Jesus. We believe that wherever he leads us is best. Wherever he takes us is best. Because he loves us and he knows what is best and we don't. Mark Galley says that we, we probably should change the way we think about, about uh, the idea of following. Because in our culture, what do we value? We value leaders. We, we teach people how to be leaders. We give degrees in leadership. I don't think we give any degrees in followership. What do we say? We want our children to grow up to be leaders. And, and it's not a bad thing to be a leader at all. But only if we create an atmosphere in which leading also means following. And maybe what we need to do is to highlight more and more the value of people who are willing to follow People who are willing to serve, even if they never get a sniff of being a leader. Because Jesus doesn't say, if you want to be my disciple, lead. He says, if you want to be my disciple, follow. You follow. And Galilee says, maybe what we need are less seminars about uh, seven traits of great leaders and instead seminars of seven traits of humble followers. Jesus says this is what disciples do. This is what disciples look like. I love the passage. I love the 21st chapter of John is one of my favorite passages. It's post-resurrection. It's in that, in that chapter that Jesus uh, calls his disciples in from the shore and he cooks them a meal and, and uh, he and Peter walk along the seashore talking and it's in that, it's that chapter that Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? You know, I love you, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. And he keeps asking him. And then he says to Peter, look, when all is said and done, when you get to the end of your life, you're going to have gone through a lot of pain and suffering. You're going to deal with a lot of difficult things. And in fact, at the end of your life, it's probably going to be kind of ugly. And you can almost see Peter swallowing and saying, okay, Jesus. And then he turns around and John is following them. And he says to Jesus, okay, that's for me. But what about John? I can almost see a smile on Jesus' face. He says, Peter, listen. 
You take care of yourself. You let me worry about John. Whatever I want to do with John, I'll do with John. I just have one word for you. Follow me. You just follow me. And the following of Jesus may look different for you than it does for me. The following of Jesus may look different for for you than it does for you or you or you or you know, we're all different because he leads us in different journeys and different paths. But the key thing is following Jesus. And this is really the mission of the church. This is what it means to be the church, to be God's people. This, this is what, this is the calling of discipleship is to take up our cross, deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is, this is the church. This is what it means to be the church, to be God's people. And it's not a new thing. It's always been the case. All the way back in the beginning pages of Scripture, that's what God is asking of people. And Adam and Eve sin because they don't want to do it. And from that point in time, all through history, God keeps bringing people into the, the place where his people are, saying to them, in essence, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow And he continues to say it. It intrigues me that in this 34th verse, he begins, he's been talking with the disciples, and you get to the 34th verse, and he says, Then Jesus called everyone, all of the other people there, and said, Come on, let me explain this to you. This idea of what it means to be a disciple is not for a few select people who feel like, okay, they want to be holy, and they're going to be elitist spiritually. This is for everyone. This is what it means to be a disciple. This is what it means to be the church. As Duhouse says, there are not two paths to in this journey of discipleship. One path is the way of the cross and one path is the way of resurrection victory. And some people follow the way of the cross and some people follow the way of resurrection victory. no. Resurrection victory only happens because it comes through the cross. And so Jesus gets to the end of this passage and he says, this is an eternal principle I'm giving you here. If you are willing to follow this challenge of the cross, it will lead you to abundant life. It will lead you to what you've been hoping to experience. It will lead you to what God desires for you from the very beginning. This is something, this is an eternal principle of discipleship. And it's a difficult thing. It's a challenge. It's hard. It's a struggle. It goes against the grain of every way in which we tend to think. But it leads to everything we could possibly ever want. I love the fact that God doesn't just give us commands. But he helps us understand why those commands are so important. He helps us understand where those commands lead us. And in this passage, Jesus is very frank and says, if you don't want to do this, then that too will lead to eternal consequences. But if you do, you're going to find, you're going to find everything that you've dreamed of finding. And it's not just about someday. Yes, it will reach its fulfillment someday. When Jesus reappears and ushers in the kingdom in all of his fullness and he sets everything right, then we will experience it. But the the message of the gospel is that we can begin to experience it now. 
That's what the saints through the ages understood that we often have a hard time understanding. It has always intrigued me and amazed me when I read stories of saints who, who are persecuted and, and tied to a, a post and burned at the stake and the whole time are glorifying God. And people talk about them dying like that with this peaceful expression on their face. It's because they've already begun to experience what it means to be a disciple of Jesus who takes seriously the challenge of the cross. And it means that no matter what happens to us in this life, however unfair, however difficult, however much of a struggle we may face, the challenge of the cross that God is eternally good. The way of the cross is the way of life. Then and now. There's something about this passage that I hadn't really thought about until this past week. That Jesus begins, verse 34, by saying, whoever wants to be my disciple. This is how you live. There's something about the word wants that struck me. Jesus, I think, is saying, if you want to be my disciple, then this is what it looks like. There is this, this is about a want to. This is about our purpose, our motivation, our desire. It's about what we want to be, what really is driving us as human beings. And the word that he uses there has this sense of desire and want, but it also has a sense of of doing what we're fond of doing. You think about it. We spend our time doing what we're fond of doing. Now, I know we all have time locked in. We all have things that we don't have time that we have no control over. But the reality is, when you boil it down, we all do what we want to do. We spend our time doing what we want to do. We spend our money on what we want to do. We give our resources to what we want to do. We give our energy to what we want to do. And if it's something we really want to do, we find a way to do it. We will sacrifice and we will struggle and we will give up other things in order to do what we are fond of doing. And Jesus is saying, this is what disciples do. If we want intimacy with Jesus, if we want abundant life, if we want all that Jesus goes to the cross for us to experience, if we want it, if we truly want it, if it's a passion for us, then we will make time and effort and energy for it to become a reality in our lives. John Orberg says that, talks about there are two kinds of mentalities when you think about these kinds of things. There's the trying mentality and the training mentality. And the trying mentality is the sort of mindset that says, well, sure, that sounds interesting. I'll try it. Never done that before. I'll give it a shot. And, and there are things in life where that's the right way to handle it. You know, somebody offers you a plate of food that you've never seen before, and you're like, mm, sure, I'll give it a shot. 
But there are lots of things in life where that just simply doesn't cut it. Suppose you, you uh, wake up next Saturday morning and you open up the newspaper or the internet or whatever, new, however you get your news, and you see that, that later that afternoon there's a marathon running in Buffalo. And you think to yourself, you know, I've always thought that would be an interesting thing to run a marathon. I'm going to do it. I'm just, I'm going to do it. Now, where are my tennis shoes? I haven't used those for months. I've got to find those things. I, I may have to go to the store and buy some clothes to wear, but I, I, this is awesome. I, I just want to go do this. Or you're in the doctor's office. You see a sign that says that they're hiring a nurse. They need a nurse. They're hiring. You're thinking, I've always thought that would be really interesting to be a nurse. So I, I can do this. I mean, how hard can it be? I mean, you stick a needle in somebody's arm. You draw a little blood. Take a temperature. How hard can it be? Sure, give it a try. Or you, you love to eat baked goods and you think, you know what, I'm going to open a bakery. And I'm going to empty out every bit of money I have and I'm going to invest and I'm going to, I'm going to open a bakery even though you have never in your life used a rolling pin or a spatula and you never turned on a mixer and you never even opened your oven door. You have no concept of it, but you're going to clean out your bank account to do that. We would say to people like that, that's unreasonable, if not foolish, if not stupid. Because some things, you have to spend time and energy and effort training to do. And here's the thing that point that Ortberg makes. If we think it's unreasonable to think that we could run a marathon or be a nurse, or open a bakery with absolutely no training at all, why would we think that it is reasonable to have that kind of mindset about being a disciple of Jesus? The challenge of the cross is hard. It's a mindset. It's an attitude. And God is not asking us to accomplish it all in one day. He's simply calling us to be open and willing to live like disciples. To make time and effort and to use our resources and to think about everything we are and everything we have with the purpose in mind of training to be disciples. You then experience the abundant life and grace of Jesus. We're all training in some way or another for something. The challenge of the cross is an invitation to live our lives training be like Jesus. Holy Father, thank you for this, your desire to do more in us than we could dream or imagine. Your desire to be in intimate relationship with us. We pray that you will give us grace to open our hearts, open our lives, this challenge you've given us. 
that we might be who you have created us to be. stand as we sing together.
receive the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore.